This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. We've been in Malachi. Uh, today we're going to be in chapter 3 and verses uh, 6 through 12. We're going to talk about reflecting our generous God. If you're new here today, typically what we do is we're walking through books of the Bible. And so we've been doing that this fall with the book of Malachi. Uh, we'll finish Malachi actually next week um, on the 17th. And then I'll have a special Thanksgiving message uh, for you on the, the 24th. Um, but we've come to uh, chapter 3 and verse 6 today in our our study, and so we're going to look at those verses together. Matthew 3 and verses 6 through 12, and um, let me ask you to stand as we look at God's Word together. Reflecting our generous God, Malachi 3 and beginning with verse 6, because I the Lord have not changed You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Since the days of your fathers, you've turned from my statutes. You've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine and your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. You can be seated. Let's pray together. And so, Father, we, we thank you that right at the heart of our faith, right at the heart of the gospel, is your generosity. We, we have been saved because you gave, because you gave your only son for us. You are the ultimate giver. And so we pray that in our own lives that we would reflect our generous God in the way that we live and in the way that we give. And so, Father, speak to us today about who you are in this area, about what it means to to follow you faithfully in this area, what it means to reflect really who you are in this area So speak to us now by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, it's a time when we, we're beginning to think about gifts, uh, Christmas gifts, and it's really cool when you think about something that a loved one, you, you know that they would really, they would really, this would be a cool gift for them, and it will be a surprise, they won't be thinking about it. I was thinking about my son this week, and something came to mind for him, and I know he's going to love it, uh, and I know he's not expecting it, and it's really cool when you think about a gift idea like that. And I know sometimes as believers, we lament all of the commercialism that surrounds the holidays, and obviously there, there is that. And, and obviously, um, giving gifts can be, can be, we can overdo that, but still, I like the fact that we give gifts at Christmas because Christmas is really about the ultimate gift that was given to us. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians and verse uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, now Paul here is, is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the indescribable gift. But he's doing that in the context of, of exhorting the Corinthian church to be generous themselves. Because we need to understand that we are saved because God gave. And so therefore, generous giving is at the heart of Christian living. And, and that's where... Um, Malachi begins here in this particular session with the heart, because it is a heart issue. So if you're taking notes, that would be uh, the first thing. It's on the back of your, your bulletin if you want to follow along um, with that. A heart issue. So let's look at verses 6 and 7 here. He says, because I, the Lord, have not changed, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes, you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Now, notice something crucial here. God says here in, in verse 7 that, that you have turned from my statutes. In other words, my commands. You've turned from my statutes. You've turned from my commandments. You have, you have not kept them. But then what does he say to them? He doesn't just say, return to my statutes. What does God say here in verse 7? He says, return to me. Return to me and I will return to you. Because we need to understand that when we turn from God's statutes, from God's commandments, we are turning from God himself. So God, God doesn't just say, return to my statutes. He says, return to me, and I will return to you. Um, but they, 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 they don't... This doesn't really register with them. And the reason that we know that is because at the end of verse 7, what do they ask? God says, yet you ask, how can we return? And it's not like really an honest, authentic question here. 
it's really sort of like a prideful, smart aleck question. That's their, that's their tone here. In fact, you could, you could translate this at the end of verse 7, how can we return? You could really translate this, how can we return when we've never been away? What, you mean us, God? We need to return? Are you talking to us? And so they're, you know, they're, they, they, don't, they don't see their, their, their own need for repentance. Now, one thing they have seen, because they've been complaining about it throughout the book of Malachi. We've seen a lot of complaining, a lot of whining. What they have seen is that God has withdrawn his blessings. What they do not see is that the withdrawal of his blessings is linked to their own disobedience. That's what he talks about next. Let's look at verses eight and nine. God says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the 10th and the contributions you are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Now we see four times in two verses Various forms of the word rob, which means to, to, to plunder. God says, you're, you're, you're plundering me. You are robbing me. But, but yet, yet once again, they play dumb, right? How do we rob you, God? It's like dumb and dumber, right? How, how, do, we, how do we rob you? What do you mean? You know, they they kind of... They kind of pretend like they don't know what he's, what he's talking about. Um, I, I'm sure many of you have had the feeling of being robbed. Uh, and it is such a violation. I remember one time my, my dad and I were up in, in Boston and we had been touring some of the historical sites up, up there. And I think I was in high school at the time. And we got back to our car and somebody had just, they weren't subtle about it. they just thrown a brick through the window of the car and just ransacked everything in the car. And if you've ever been the, the victim of theft, isn't, isn't, you just feel like you've been violated, right? It's just, it's almost like a visceral kind of a feeling. And that's what's coming through here in, in, in God's language. There's a sense of violation, of being plundered, you know, of being, of being, uh, of being robbed. And, and then he tells them how they have done that. They, they ask naively, how do we rob you? Well, God answers here in verse 8. By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions you were suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Um, so the, the tenth here that's talked about in verse eight, sometimes it's translated as tithe, same thing. It just, tithe just means a tenth. Um, and what that refers to is that after God delivered them from slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land, God laid out commandments for how they were to live. And, and all of his commandments were for their good. God's commandments are always for our good. They are always for our flourishing. 
And, and so one of the commandments that God had given them when he brought them into the promised land is that they were to give a, a, a tenth of, of, of what they had. They were to set that aside, that tithe, that, that tenth. And it was just, it was a way of, it's, it supported the, the worship in the synagogue and the, the temple and, 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 and so forth. It supported uh, missions, causes, and, and things like that. Sort of like the giving even in our own church. Um, and that, that tenth was, was really supposed to be an expression of the fact and to help them re- remember the fact that God had given them everything, <laughs> that everything that they had, had had come from him. And so as a way of, of honoring God and, and remembering him, God commanded them, even the poorest Israelite, uh, was commanded to, to give uh, this, this, this tenth, this tithe. I mean, it didn't seem like too much to ask. I mean, after all, God had given them everything, everything that they had. Their very lives they, they owed to him. Their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, they owed to him. And so for God to say, to ask them to, to, to give the tithe, that doesn't seem like much. And yet, they were withholding even that um, some of them were blowing it off completely. Others were sort of fudging on that and not giving it all. That's why he says in verse 10 to bring the, bring the whole tithe, bring the full tithe um, into my, my storehouse. So, so listen, why is God concerned about this? Well, he's concerned about it because God cares about our hearts, God is not a needy God. It's not that God needs money or anything. It's that God is concerned about our hearts. It's a heart issue. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the way that we handle treasure, and he's talking about finances, the way that we handle our, 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 our money is revealing of the condition of our hearts. In fact, it's indicative of, of it's like a heart monitor. It monitors kind of where our hearts are. Are. It's a monitor to, to, to show us if anything has crept onto the throne of our hearts other than Christ. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your, your, your heart will be also. And so this is another thing that giving does. Giving decenters stuff from the throne of our hearts. Because our hearts are so prone to selfishness. The great reformer Martin Luther said that our hearts are curved in on themselves. Another great reformer, John Calvin, said that our, our hearts are like 
idol factories. <laughs> We're constantly manu- our, in our sinful nature, we are constantly manufacturing new idols to be on the throne of our of our hearts. We're con- that 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 is that that manufacturing process of idols just doesn't stop. So we have to battle this constantly. And one of the biggest battles, one of the biggest idols that can grip us, you know, is is possessions, is money displacing Christ on the throne of our hearts, which is incredibly dangerous. Uh, Paul says in in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and, and 10, for those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so the, the love of money is ruinous to our hearts. And the way to combat that idol is to learn how to give. And that's the second thing that we see here in this text. A giving test. A giving test. Let's look at verse 10. God says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. And so God invites them to test him. And the word test here in verse 10, the Hebrew word means to evaluate the dependability of something. And so God is, God is, is, is saying, test me in this. See if I am not dependable. See if I am not faithful. See if I will not come through for you. God is, God is giving them a giving test. Old Testament scholar Ray Clendenin says this about this word. He says, although it's, it is wrong to test God with complaining, rebellion, and unbelief, it is not wrong to test him with obedience, especially when he commands it. And so God here is, is, is commanding it. He, is, he says, test me in this. Evaluate my dependability in this. See if I will not come through for you and open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing. God says, Test me with this. Um, he says that I'll open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without, uh, without measure here in, um, in verse 10. Now that language here sounds very much like the teaching of Jesus in Luke 6.38. In fact, I, I suspect that Malachi, uh, Malachi 3 was on the mind of Christ when he said this in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this does not mean, and I have to say this because of the prevalence of false teaching 
in our day with prosperity theology, uh, this whole health and wealth gospel, which is no gospel at all. Uh, because we have we have got so many false teachers out there, you know, like Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and Joel Osteen and uh, Paula White and Joyce Meyer and people that are are, are promoting kind of a the idea that you give to get, and that by doing so that you know you will be rich and you will be healthy and all friends that is a false gospel that that is that is not what the scripture is 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 teaching here first of all in our motivation we do not give to get we give because we love Jesus, because we have been redeemed, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because we've experienced a far greater deliverance than the children of Israel experienced when they were delivered from slavery in Egypt into the promised land. We have been delivered from sin and death into the freedom of the children of God. We've experienced a much greater deliverance, a much greater exodus than what they ever experienced. So we get, when we give, our motivation is not to get, and certainly not to get rich. Our motivation in giving is because we love Jesus. We love him, and we're blown away by the, the gospel. We're blown away by the salvation that he's given us. And the second thing that we need to understand here is that um, God is not promising earthly riches as a result of our giving. God does promise to meet our needs. He does not promise to meet our greeds. And there are a lot of greeds <laughs> in, in American culture. Um, and so, but, but yes, God promises to meet our needs. And, here, and, and not only that, but we have an infinitely creative God. Look around you. Look at the colors on the trees at this time of year. Look at the incredible creativity, the, 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 the diversity of our God. Listen. God's blessings to us are not limited to financial blessings. Like he, he is an infinitely creative God. There are like thousands of ways that God has to, to bless your obedience and your, your giving. What does he say here in verse 11? He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. So this is an agrarian, an agrarian culture um, and uh, the devourer would have been stuff like locusts that would eat their crops. And so God says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine and your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. So listen, God says, I will be there for you with provision. I will be there for you with protection Trust me in this. Test me in this and see if I will not come through for you. But in order to do that, um, we have to step out in faith. We cannot just say that we trust God without acting on that. That's not real faith. <laughs> real faith acts 
Real faith steps out and obeys the Lord. And that's certainly the case here when it comes to giving. And we tend to, in our human nature, we can make all kinds of excuses for this. And we can say, well, you know, I'll do this in a different season of life. You know, I'll do this when the kids are out of the house. Or, you know, I'll do this when I reach a certain level of income. Or I'll I'll do this when we get completely out of debt. No. Obey the Lord. God says, trust me. Test me in this. Test me in this. And see if I am not faithful. Step out in faith now and, and, and trust the Lord. And the really cool thing is that this has a snowballing effect. Because if you will do that, then what you're going to see is that God will come through for you. And when you see God come through for you, when you take concrete steps of faith, that gives you the faith to take more steps. Because you see that God can be trusted. God can be depended on. And so it, it snowballs. It builds your faith to exercise more faith. So it's a giving test. Third, a gospel priority. A gospel priority. So one practical question that people ask when they get to um, passages like this that talk about uh, tithing is, well, you know, like, well, what about, what about today? Because this is written in 5th century Israel. We're, you know, we're not 5th century Israelites. Uh, and that's true. We're not 5th fifth, fifth century Israelites. But, but listen, our standard of living is far greater than 5th century Israelites, <laughs> okay? In fact, our standard of living is way, way, way beyond 5th century Israelites, especially in American culture. And, and not only that, but our standard of living, I'm talking about like the average person, the way the average American lives, is so far beyond what like 90-some percent of the people in the rest of the world, the way that they live. But it's certainly far beyond the people that God was talking to in 5th century Israel. Like, so we have all kinds of economic advantages that they did not have But more than that, we have a spiritual advantage that they did not have. These are people who have not had the benefit of seeing the whole scope of God's redemption for us. You know, we have the ability to look back to the cross and to the resurrection. We are new covenant believers. So we we have the fullness of God's revelation in the New Testament. We have the, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. I mean, we have got so many economic and spiritual advantages that they did not have. And so the, the obvious question is, should we as new covenant believers give less? Less than what the poorest Israelite was commanded to give? Or should we give more? And I think the answer to that is obvious. And I want to I leave us with just four quick hits here on giving, right? If you're taking notes, let's look at them one by one. 
um, four just kind of principles to keep in your mind that will help you to keep your giving um, biblical. First of all, give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. Paul says the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves, what? A cheerful giver. And in other words, we should not view this as a got to, but as a get to. We get to be a part of what God is doing around the world. It's mind-boggling that God lets us be involved in that. And so because we have been redeemed, that we have been loved in this, this gospel, we should want to cheerfully, joyfully, willingly want to give to advance the gospel to others. So give cheerfully. Second, Give consistently. Give consistently. So in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul is writing to the Corinthians there about the, uh, the collection that is being taken. And, and he's, he gives here a great principle for how we should, should give consistently. Let's look at it. Now about the collection for the saints... Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. Okay, so this would be the, the normal instruction. Not, not only that he's giving the Corinthian church here, but he makes it clear here in verse one, this is, what he, this is kind of the normal instruction that he's, he gives to the other churches. And, that's, and, and he says, on the first day of the week, which is when they would worship, okay? He says, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering. So what this means is that there is intentionality and there is planning involved in this. And there's consistency here. He says that, that it, and, and it's clear here, because it's the first day of the week, and that's when they worshiped. It's super clear here that an offering was taken when they worshiped. Now listen, the point is, is not that, you know, you, you may have this set up to where you give, you know, every, uh, every other week according to just how you're, you're, you're paid or, or whatever. Okay, that's not the point. Okay, that, that, whether it's, you know, uh, every week or every two weeks, the point is not whether you physically put something in the plate. Melissa and I don't physically put anything in the plate anymore. We have it set up, you know, with the church, which anybody uh, can do if you choose to do it uh, this way. But we have it set up so that it's, it's autom automatically withdrawn. Because that's kind of the, <laughs> we don't write a lot of checks anymore. And so we do it that way. But the point is not, you know, kind of whether it's every week, once every two weeks, or whether you write a check, or whether you have it 
done electronically or whatever. The point is that there is consistency and there's planning that is involved in that. That's what Paul is saying here. He is clearly teaching these believers that this should be something that you have set aside, you've, you, you've, you've planned for it, you've saved it. Like, so there is, there is intentionality here. It's, it's not something that was sporadic. It was, their giving was to be um, consistent. Now, I'll just tell you, I'm super grateful for parents who, who taught me this at an early age, and Melissa's parents did this faithfully uh, with her as well. Um, but, you know, my, my parents taught me, and listen, my, my parents came into the church as adults. My dad was saved when he was 30 years old. When they came into the church, they began to hear about, you know, they, they began, obviously there was an offering that was taken every week. They began to see that. They began to think about, they began to hear people talk about tithing and that kind of thing. They didn't even know what, my dad didn't even know what that was. And so, found out, here's, you know, here's what, here's what it is, here's what God's word says and so forth. Well, at that time in their lives, there was a tremendous financial uh, struggle at that point. Um, and they were barely making the ends meet w- without tithing. <laughs> and so they wondered, like, how are we going to, how, how can we do this? But God had been so good to them that they just said, you know, we're, we're going to trust the Lord. And we're going to, God says, test me. <laughs> we're we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna give God the opportunity to prove his faithfulness. And so they began to tithe. And God did show his faithfulness and they were able to give offerings that were beyond the tide. And so when I was growing up, and I'm talking about like junior high, like when I first started cutting lawns and, you know, and delivering newspapers and things like that, my dad set me down and said, okay, son, this is what we do in our family and, and giving. And this is why we do it. And so... Um, what they taught me at that point, and this, and, and, and this is what we, Melissa and I do as a couple, is that we, we view our tithe, a tenth of our combined income. That is something that when, when we sit down and we have a, we have a budget you know, we, we have to go through at this point in time in our lives with kids in college and all of that. Like, we have to, <laughs> we have to sit down and we have to be pretty meticulous about just the way that our lives work. And so we sit down, you know, and we, we have our budget. We have things. We, 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 we plan. But I want to tell you something. We don't, we pray for God to use our tithe, but we don't pray about whether or not we're going to tithe (laughs) because we view that as foundational obedience to the Lord. And so we give a tenth of our combined income to the budget of our church, to our church budget, nothing else, that enables the church to to, to plan, uh, to, to, to carry out 
uh, normal ministry here in our community and around the world. So our tithe, which is automatic, it's not up for discussion, that goes to the, the budget of our church. We also give to our, our building fund because we pledged to do that a, a few years ago and we just kind of continued to do that. Um, and we also have that, uh, that's, that's over and above our tithe. That's an offering above our tithe. We have that kind of automatically withdrawn as well. And then there are things like our Lottie Moon offering. And we, and we do pray about, hey, what are we, what are we gonna, gonna give to, to, to Lottie Moon? And that, that's something that we'll, we'll write a check for and we'll, during our end gathering, we'll, we'll bring that offering forward. That's over and above our tithe. And, and, and what we have seen is that God is faithful. God is faithful. He comes through. That's who he is. And so give cheerfully. Give consistently. Third, give gratefully. Give gratefully. I'm taking medicine for allergies and it not only dries up my nose, it dries up my mouth. I'm sorry, I'm up here swigging water. Give gratefully. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Oh, what a beautiful statement of the gospel. God's love for us. Old Testament scholar Matthew Harmon says this, having taken from us the fate we deserved, Jesus has now shared with us the destiny that he truly deserves, giving us a right to his inheritance, which is nothing less than the riches of the new heavens and the new earth. And so listen, not only have we been redeemed and our sins wiped out and we have been delivered into the freedom of the children of God, but listen, what is our future? The Israelites were moving from slavery in Egypt into the promised land. We have been delivered from bondage to sin and death, and our future is the ultimate promised land the new heavens and earth, right? That is our inheritance. And so like all of us as believers are, are stepping into this inheritance. That is our future. So why on earth would we be stingy now? As those who have been redeemed, as those who have this incredible inheritance awaiting, listen, why would we be stingy now? Oh, we should give gratefully and then give trustingly. Give trustingly. Paul says in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Trust God to supply your needs. He promises that he will do so. One time, my, my dad and I were, were taking a walk, and it was this time of year. I always think about it this time of year, but I think it was on Thanksgiving Day, and I was just a really little guy at this point, but um, we just went walking in the woods, father and son, and, uh, and we, we stopped, and we, I noticed a, a tree house, and you know, 
boys. <laughs> you see a tree, you see a tree house, and the natural inclination is to want to climb and explore. So I did that, you know, and I scampered up that tree, you know, like a squirrel, and uh, and got up in the tree house and poked around and saw that what that was all about. Well, then it was time to come down. <laughs> And I looked over, <laughs> and coming down didn't seem as easy as it had been to, to climb up. And my dad could just read me, and he could instantly just see what, was, what I was thinking. And he held out his arms, and he said, just jump. I'll catch you. Well, I sailed out of that treehouse without a moment's hesitation. Not even a moment's hesitation. Why? Because I knew my dad. I knew my dad. I knew that he could be counted on to catch me. Listen, the Bible says in Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not much more graciously give us all things If he has already given us the greatest thing, which is his son, God says, I'll come through for you in every other way. I want to tell you something. Your father can be trusted, brothers and sisters. Your father can be trusted. Trust him in this. So we give trustingly. We give in faith to a God who can be counted on to provide all of our needs. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the the greatest need that you have met, which is our need for salvation that you have met in Jesus. We thank you that you gave your only son for us and that your greatest gift, if we can count on you to give that, then certainly we can count on you to provide in every way that we need it. So Lord, help us to demonstrate trusting obedience to you in our giving because you are the ultimate giver, because we want to reflect our generous God. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him, 
How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.